Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Wow. I'm, uh, I'm glad that you didn't sing a shield about me right before the sermon because I was, couldn't sing. That was so meaningful to me. I've I, I got to tell you, I was wiping tears out of my eyes. I uh, have gone through a lot of things recently, and just to sing that song and know what it means to have a God that surrounds you and shields you is such a blessing. Amen? Well, we continue on with our parables of Jesus. The unrighteous and shrewd manager is our uh, parable for today. If you would, open your Bibles to Luke 16. We are device-friendly. If you have a phone or an iPad, break it out, open it up, and turn over to Luke 16. This is a tough parable. Uh, I have about uh, seven uh, books on my uh study on my desk, and I study each one of them for uh, how to interpret a parable. And can I tell you, this one is probably the most diverse in the way people uh, look at it and interpret it. And I think some people take it places it was never meant to go, and I'm going to try not to do that this morning. You've got to ask yourself, uh, where is the parable going? Because any parable, any allegory can be taken too far. Jeffrey W. Hamilton said, All parables are aimed towards a particular point, and they start to break down when they are stretched too far or applied to the wrong point. And that is definitely true of our parable this morning. So we have to ask ourselves as we interpret parables some questions Who's the audience? Okay, in this morning in our parable, the audience, according to Luke 16, uh, verse 1, and then verse 14, we see that his followers, Christ's disciples, and the Pharisees were both in uh, the audience. And he's speaking, I believe, directly to the Pharisees at times, and of course, teaching his disciples the entire time. What is the context? Now, that's very important. A lot of times we want to do what uh, Patrick Mead calls helicoptering in and grabbing one verse and ripping it out of context. And we never want to do that. So it's important to read what was before it and what was read after it. Uh, What's the context? In this case, we have uh, the context of we just finished the parable of the prodigal God. And then we have, and I didn't say that wrong, Because you need to understand the word prodigal means someone who lavishes things on you. The prodigal God. For some reason we call that Mike the prodigal son. But really isn't it about the prodigal father in that story, in that parable? And then after that, we talk. uh, Christ uh, talks about uh, the, uh, the rich man and Lazarus. Okay? So we have to look at the context that it's in. And does your interpretation harmonize with Scripture? i got to tell you, anytime you look at a parable and, Will, it doesn't fit in with the rest of Scripture, you probably need to reinterpret. You probably need to go back and study and look again at that Scripture. And then you need to ask yourself, almost every parable has a single overall writing theme. What is the theme to this parable? And I believe... It's how do we manage wealth. Now, I put wealth in quotation marks for a reason. 
Because it's not just talking about monetary wealth, and he's not just talking about the spiritual wealth that we have. He's also talking about our talents and our time. So when you see the word wealth and you think about wealth in this parable, I want you to think of all the resources that you have and, Margaret, that's been extended to you when you think and you listen to this parable. So, four, excuse me, five points that I know are in this parable, okay? Man, you read people and, and they go all over the place with, with the points in this parable. But what we do know are at least five points, okay? Wealth is being wasted. Quick action is being taken. Wise and prudent action is commended. And we should use wealth for eternal security. And then in the end, you can't serve but one master. You can't choose two. You can only have one. So let's read together. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be a manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I will do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down, quickly, and make it out for 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it out for 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than they are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is done, you will be welcomed into eternal dwelling. Whoever is, can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy to handle worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No man can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. The first thing I want to point out 
in this parable. And please keep it before you. The first thing I want to point out is wealth is being wasted. I believe because the Pharisees are in the crowd, I think Jesus is is talking directly to them at times, making the point that both material and spiritual blessings and wealth is being wasted. You see, the, the Pharisees are hoarding the love of God, the will of God, the instruction of God that brings a full life to people's lives. They're keeping it in. They're not sharing it the way it's supposed to be. And they're also, they're hoarding money that would further the kingdom of God. They're keeping it to themselves. Uh, The word here for wasted is actually winnowing. In the Greek, it's winnowing. That's when you take grain, wheat, and you need to separate it because the chaff on the outside isn't good to eat, okay? And it won't bake. So you have to separate that kernel from the outside chaff. So what they do is they rub it together and then they throw it up in the air when it's windy and the chaff floats away. Christ is giving them a picture of what we might say of money just floating out the window. Money just flying away. When I think of winnowing, I think of a $100 bill in a teenager's hand. But the word wealth here is just, it's, it's never the managers. It's never the stewards. It always belongs to the master, right? And so I had to call up one of my banker friends and say, what's a good word for a steward today? And he goes, oh, we call them asset managers. And really, isn't that what we are We don't really own anything, do we, Jack? Because you and I are going to die, and how much are we going to leave behind? A hundred percent. Right? So truly, we are just asset managers. In this parable, we need to see ourselves and see this man as an asset manager. He's just a steward, and we need to live lives, Don, where we're just asset managers of all the blessings and all the wealth that he has given us, hoarding it, wasting it, using it on self-promotion and predominantly for self-gain is simply not acceptable. We are simply stewards of what we've been given. The next thing I want you to notice is, Bill, this guy takes quick action. He has immediacy. Once this manager realizes his condition... He immediately takes action. Before his authority could be completely removed, he makes an effort to secure his future. We see this throughout the Bible. Just to give you some four instances, how about Nicodemus? And Jesus came to the place. He looked up and said to him, Nicodemus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down. And received him joyfully. Didn't look like Christ was waiting on anything. And neither did Zacchaeus in his reaction. How about when we call uh, Matthew from the table. At the time Levi the tax collector. And Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Do you see the immediacy of it all? 
Immediacy is a, is a theme that runs throughout the New Testament. Did you know if you turn over to Mark 1, chapter 1, did you know that Mark uses the word immediate or Im- immediately at least nine times just in the first chapter of his book? Did you know that the, the word yo... Boy, Greek words kill me. English is bad enough, but Greek kills me. Yothos, the word, the Greek word yothos, how many times do you think that word immediately is used in the New Testament? 10, 20, 30? 60 times. 60 times the word immediately is used in your New Testament. It's a theme that rides throughout the entire New Testament. There's this book written by C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters. And Screwtape is the, is the senior demon, and he has a nephew called Wormwood. And Wormwood's not too bright, and, and Screwtape is trying to help Wormwood take people to hell. And throughout, the, throughout their, their, their writing back and forth in letters, trying to educate this young demon... Screwtape keeps telling the nephew, the, the, the young demon, use complacency. Tell them they've got enough time. Tell them they can do it tomorrow. Tell them that it really doesn't have to happen right now. Use complacency. And can I tell you, sometimes I feel complacency kills more good works in the church than any other single thing. Thoughts like, well, that's good enough. We don't have to improve on that. We can make that happen sometime, someday. It was good enough for my generation, so it's good enough for theirs. Can I tell you that mentality works against the kingdom? Can I tell you when I first came to Baldwin, there were holes in the carpet, mildew out on the outside wall, on this west wall, leaky stains running down on the inside of our auditorium. There was grass growing in the parking lot as high as your ankle. There were urine-stained bathroom floors in the bathrooms. There were dead trees in the lawn. There were over 500 square feet of unusable space and rooms in this church because they were filled with clutter and junk. And can I tell you, nobody set out to waste that space. Nobody intended to let things go until they were an embarrassment. It wasn't anybody's intent. No, the problem was that we had lost our sense of immediacy. And I'm afraid the same can happen to our hearts, to our spiritual growth. Thoughts like... I really don't need to read the Bible again. I know enough. I don't need to participate in that church ministry. 
I don't have to improve my Sunday morning class. I've been teaching it for, you put the X in there. I don't need to read my new books, any new book for that matter. I don't need to attend any spiritual-based seminars or lectureships. Where I'm at is really a good spiritual spot. And Satan smiles because he's got a foothold with you in complacency. Next, we look at prudent action. Of all the parables, this one is probably one of the most disturbing. Because how can the master, which seems to be God here, commend this guy? Well, the first thing I want to tell you is God always looks for the good in us, right? And isn't that a blessing? Aren't you glad God always looks for the good in you? Because i got to tell you, if he's looking for the bad, he's going to find it. If you're on a witch hunt for Keith, guess what? You're going to find it. You're looking to find faults in Keith, you're going to find them. You don't have to go far. My wife is sitting right there. My child, children are here. They can tell you all my faults. One's raising their hand in the back. Yes, I know. But shouldn't we be Christ-like? Can I tell you in the church, I see people doing great things and winning people to Christ, and we want to pick out all their little problems, all the things that they don't get just perfect. Can we be more God-like in this area and change the world like Christ changed the world? But let me call your attention. Verse number 8, look closely at Scripture. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. In the Greek, this word means prudent or wise. The point is that he did the best he could do with what he had. And the master was commending him for looking out for his future because he acted shrewdly. Not because he was dishonest. Don't, don't go places that this parable doesn't try to go, okay? He acted shrewdly and he's being commended because he was acting shrewdly. You might ask yourself, well, Keith, why this picture of, of two rocks being balanced? Uh, because that's wisdom. Knowledge, for example, is knowing that uh, a chocolate milkshake at McDonald's is 3,500 calories. Okay? That's knowledge. But wisdom is not sucking down three of them per day and growing my girth into obesity. Right? So knowledge by itself is just knowledge. Knowledge applied to behavior. Knowledge that changes your behavior, that's wisdom. Applying that knowledge to my life, taking what I find in the Bible and applying it to Keith and how he acts and behaves in his behavior, that, my friends, is wisdom. Christ then literally says, 
For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, the worldly worth use worldly worth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. I love what the Amplified Version says about this. What the Amplified Version, if you don't have an Amplified Version at home, you might want to get one for your study Bible. The Amplified Version does a great job of explaining what the Bible is trying to say in line while it says it. And it's a great study Bible. The problem is, if you're trying to read it like open narrative, it's kind of like playing with Bob wire. So here it's, here's what the Amplified Version says to help us with this difficult Scripture. For the sons of this age the non-believers, are shrewder in relation to their own kind, that is, to the ways of the secular world, than are the sons of the light, the believers. And I tell you, learn from this, make friends with yourself for eternity by means of wealth of the unrighteous, that is, use material resources as a way to further the work of God, so that when it runs out, they will welcome you into eternal dwellings. Christ says, take a look at the zeal of the rest of the world, how it wins favor and friendship and builds earthly empires. And you should learn from that and apply that and your shrewd behavior to win people over for the kingdom. Does that make sense? And sometimes I worry. I worry about my zeal. I worry about my taking shrewd action for the kingdom. You see, when I worked for the YMCA, I worked six days a week, 12 hours a day for five years because I would do anything to make my YMCA programs and make my YMCA branches successful. And when I owned my own web development company, I got to tell you, I would go out and I would beat the bushes, Rick, for the next customer. I'd do whatever it took to be successful. And Anna wouldn't let me come home either until I did. And then when I worked for Soapware Incorporated, for hours I would pour over new, new information technologies and I would study them, and I, I would rehearse them over and over again until I could master them, until I could use them in a way that was helpful to the resources. And I can tell you that I, I stared at the screen sometimes until I thought my eyes would bleed because I wanted to be successful at what I was doing. I wanted the company to succeed. And I have to ask myself, do I take that same zeal, that same effort to win people over for the kingdom? Do I work that hard to win people over for the kingdom? Do I use my resources to win souls for Christ like I used to work in the secular world to be successful? Because Christ is saying in this parable, Keith, you, you need to look at those shrewd ways to win them over, and you need to practice them with winning people to Christ. I'll never forget a 
conversation that I had with Jack Herman. Jack Herman is a blessed soul and has said a lot of wise things to me over the years. He's a good guy. If you know him, you love him. He's just that kind of guy. He said, Keith, every time that I see someone I don't know or someone that's new to me, I look at them and I say to myself, there's a soul for Christ and my number one priority becomes bringing them to Christ. I befriend them. I do whatever it takes to win them over for Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Every person he meets. He started to tell me how sometimes that was the guy in the checkout stand at Walmart. And sometimes that's the lady on the church parking lot who needs $5. And on the contrast of that, on the other ugly side of that, I once told one of my good friends, a young man, I wish I could motivate your daddy to work for the church like your daddy works for his business because he would bring hundreds of people to Christ. And what the guy said next left me stunned. My jaw dropped. He said, Keith, my dad's about making money. It's his top priority. It always has been, and I'm afraid it always will be. You see, Keith, business comes first before family, friends, or church. And then he looked down at the ground, and I think he was almost crying. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Lord, you put such, such blessings in our hands. Help us to use them shrewdly. Help us not to waste them. These talents we have, help us to use them for your glory and for the kingdom. Let it never be said of us, Lord, that anything comes before you and your church and our lives. Help us to be your people. In Jesus' name, amen. The next thing this parable teaches is that you cannot serve two masters. Verse 13 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one or love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. My good friend, Britt Davenport, I love this saying. It's one of his favorite. You can't sit on the fence. Why? Because Satan owns the fence. Do we realize that you can't serve two masters? These Pharisees started doing what I'm afraid some of you are already doing this morning. When they're called out, when they realize that they're guilty, they start trying to discount the words of Christ. They start trying to dismiss and rationalize Christ uh, and his teachings away. 
And Christ looks directly at the Pharisees and he says, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. This morning you may be thinking away the words of Christ in this parable, but Christ is looking at you and saying, but God knows your heart. You may get up from here this morning and try to rationalize away, even maybe convince others like the Pharisees did and justify it in the eyes of others the way you're living. But Christ says, God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. There's no fooling God. There's no way to escape his reality. He knows your heart. And so do you. So I want to leave you with three takeaways this morning. Don't waste your spiritual or material wealth. Remember, you're just an asset manager. When things start to feel really good and like they're really yours, remember, you're just really an asset manager. Don't be complacent with kingdom work. Be wise and prudent with what you have. God has given you time, talent, power, a little bit of popularity. At least one or two people love you. Use that for kingdom work. Use what you have in a prudent way. Use your resources to build the kingdom as you can only choose one master, and one eternal home. This morning, I don't know where you're at in your walk. And I really don't know how you've been using your blessings, your resources. But can I tell you, it's time that you rethink about your resources and use them for kingdom living because one day we will all be called home and we will all walk away from absolutely everything. And all that will matter then, Bill, is were we good stewards? Were we good managers? Were we good asset managers? If you haven't been, if, you, if you're not in Christ, won't you, won't you make that decision today to live for him as we stand and as we sing? Precious call.